0: mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices message and data rates may apply Bank of America and a member FDSE Jones Baden. he's got it England have won the World Cup by the of marches! So flashes it away
1: through
2: the covers for four and England have won the match
1: hello and welcome to another edition of the analyst inside cricket I'm at Lords for the second day of the England Ireland Test match it's been a bit of a one-sided affair with England obviously piling up that big 523 for four score and getting stuck into the Ireland team in their second innings uh, so you know not a huge amount to talk about one thing I will say is that at the moment we've got Josh Tung bowling to a fairly new batsman at the crease with four men on the hook, on the boundary. Uh, Ben Stokes likes his rather extreme field settings. It's a beautiful evening here at the home of cricket and I'm delighted to say that I'm sitting in the president's box with the president, MCC president Stephen Fry. Cricket lover extraordinaire. Uh, and Stephen, I, I'd love to talk to you tonight for a, for a few reasons. Partly because you're MCC president, partly because I know you you love your cricket, partly because we've recorded this uh, or you've recorded this Ashes Legends of the Ashes podcast series, which I helped to uh, create, and also because it's today. It's the 30th anniversary of the Ball of the Century, uh, the, that great delivery from Shane Warne at Old Trafford on actually the 4th of June, 1993 but the Friday of the Old Trafford Test Match of 1993 in early June. So it is the sort of 30th anniversary. But but anyway, before we get to that,
2: how are you enjoying your your life as MCC president? It's the most extraordinary thing. I feel like a pig in Chardonnay. I really do. I, uh, I never believed I would ever achieve any eminence in the game of cricket because my talent, well even to use the word talent of the way I play cricket is an absurdity but I always loved it and I always loved coming here in particular very hard not to be moved by the presence of cricket at Lords, the home of cricket it's got one of those magical auras that Wimbledon has and Augusta Georgia has and other certain places around the world that just have it and you feel it's a privilege to walk in through the gates every time you watch cricket here and this club, the MCC, which governs the laws of cricket as well as owning this incredible ground is um, to me a, a symbol of everything that's British it's absurd, it shouldn't exist, it's preposterous uh, it's old fashioned and yet it's also wonderful it moves, lumbers like an elephant slowly towards its proper century and its you know, proper recognition of the world in which it lives, always too slowly but eventually with some kind of grace, it's changed enormously in my lifetime, I mean as I never tire of reminding people, I'm old enough to remember when there were gentlemen and players in cricket, amateurs who were called Mister, as opposed to the professionals who were just known by their surname. I mean, it seems absurd. They would travel to Australia for test matches in different classes on the boat. I mean, just amazing. Um, And now, of course, that looks like ancient history, but at the time it was met with shouts of dismay when it was abandoned. And, And this continues to happen. It used to happen in Britain, cricket has always been a wonderful microcosm of British life. Um, you know, things All I'm a president and I'm married to a man. When I first came to Lords, the idea of there being such a thing in England at all would be absurd. Um, and, and now no one would tear a hair, in fact, turn a hair, in fact, I think they'd regard me as a bit of a bore even to mention it, who cares? It's so unimportant. Uh, it's important to me because, you know, everybody's marriage is important to them. But, The world does change when you're not looking. Um, You know, a bit like when you look up at a cloud in the sky, uh, and then you look down again and have a sip of your cup of tea, and you look up and the cloud's gone. But if you stared at the cloud, it would seem to stay there forever. It's just that you you have to allow time to pass. And we're talking. It's a bit like cricket, isn't it? it? Exactly right. That's that's, if you
1: look. I mean, today, for instance, it's quite an interesting day in a way because it hasn't been a sort of extravagant day. Uh, You know, you haven't sort of seen sixes flying everywhere and batsmen running up the wicket and all sorts of extravagant shots, but yet... England have scored 523 and I mean there was a record today which we probably didn't even notice Ben Duckett scored 100 before lunch 100 runs before lunch for the first time in England since 1924 but we didn't even notice that did we
2: no we're so used to these extraordinary performances that is amazing since 19 almost a 100 year record that is phenomenal yeah the speed at which it's moved I suppose we also haven't noticed because with all respect to Ireland it hasn't involved much tension and anxiety you know when you sit here and England is playing India West Indies and especially let's be honest especially this summer Australia there we go there's a boundary from the Irish um then people are gnawing their fingers off with tension from the very first ball there's excitement and there's a feeling in the air that it's very hard to communicate with television cameras wonderful as it is to watch on television and it's incredible privileged view you get of every ball but when you're here you get something else you get an extraordinary feeling of that crackle um, and what's your first memory of Lords? when did, did you first come in I came in I can't remember how old I would have been it was um, Tony Gregg and Alan Knott managed to put on a Score against the West Indies. 1973. Was 73. That? It would have been. Yeah. I
1: was at that test actually. Oh gosh. Yeah.
2: And Sobers I... got a hundred. That's right. That was incredible. In
1: fact, there were three. I think the West Indies got three hundreds. Can I Sobers and Bernard, Bernard Julian. Bernard Julian. Bernard that's Julie right. Got yeah. as well, and apparently Sobers on about I don't know 104 or 98 or something was suffering from exhaustion, retired hurt, had a brandy in the dressing <laughs> room, came back and finished his innings. <laughs>
2: Those were the days, and I got ruffled on the hair by Tony Gregg because I arrived early. And uh, in those days, you'd see them practicing at the nets in the nursery, and just out, uh, and and he came round uh, with pads under his arm. You know, he was carrying all his own stuff. And I asked for his autograph, and he uh, he put his stuff down, and he signed it, and then he ruffled me on the head and told me to have a good day. And I was thrilled because, especially now, when you think he didn't have that good a reputation as a particularly nice man, I think he ruined it by telling the West Indians he was going to make them grovel when he was captain. Everyone remembers him for that more than for anything else. But I I just thought he was a hero. And and I I really liked him and I liked Alan Knott, and I liked that generation. And I fell in love with cricket. Uh, Did
1: you have a county that you supported?
2: Yes, it was actually Gloucestershire. Gloucestershire yeah, yeah. Uh, although I grew up in Norfolk, as far away from Gloucestershire as you can get, I was sent away to school when I was seven to, to Gloucestershire. Know your
1: hero is Mike, Mike Proctor.
2: That's right. And he's coming. To, he's going to be a guest in my box. Uh, and and uh, he, he was a, a swashbuckling South African uh, and a batsman and a bowler. And I, I copied his bowling style to my eternal detriment because he bowled off the wrong foot, very chest on, swung it amazingly. In my memory, it seemed extraordinary, a hooping swing. Um, and yeah, it, it was marvelous to watch. Those were the days you, were, you know, I'm gonna sound like the old sentimentalist I am. You'd lie on your tummy on the boundary rope with a little green scoring book. And uh, then you'd go off in search of the, uh, the, the man in the announcement tent and tell him that you'd lost your friend and you'd give the name and uh, and say uh, there's a little boy here who's uh, a Hugh Janus, he's lost a Hugh Janus and you know we'd run around giggling just like Bart Simpson uh, who did the same thing. We
1: actually, there was an announcer at Derbyshire who had false teeth and we used to give him messages with a lot of S's S's. in. S- Will Steven Spielberg from you know <laughs> Oaks please report
2: back to the dressing room? Yeah. Oh well, joy. But it was you know these these were fun days and um, uh, it was a great it was a great form of cricket and it seemed wonderful to us.
1: And, and Lords, yeah. um, you know, you must be very proud in the way you know talking about the sort of traditions. of of the game. You've got here, I've always thought, Lords is, is special because you've got the traditional kind of element of the pavilion and all that. Yeah. And then the modern stuff at yeah. the other end. I mean, we're looking at the left here, we're looking at the media centre, obviously, which has now been there for some years.
2: Cherie Blair's Smile, as <laughs> we've christened it, <laughs> it was Great. built in the 90s, late 90s when uh, Tony Blair was, was Prime Minister, and it does have that wonderful look about it. And as you say, yeah, and the continent Edward stands with that whizzy new restaurants and everything. Yeah, and, and obviously, you know, one would say this, but the most important feeling you want people to have when they arrive at Lord's is welcome. You want them to feel it's as much theirs as, as the members, as anybody else's, that it's a public piece of English cricket that, that, that belongs to anybody who loves the game or wants to find out about the game. And, and the last thing you want is for people to imagine, because they know or may know that there's a club called the MCC that has strident colours that some people wear blazers and, 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 and there's a long waiting list and they may associate it with a, a, a fusty elite and uh, maybe they'll be frowned at because they're wearing jeans or that's nonsense. This is not what this this ground is about. It's not what coming to watch cricket's about. It's about the fellowship and friendship and the banter you have with the people around you as you sit and watch. It's about the when you're young it's, it's about finding a hero in a particular player. Just feeling the excitement of the athleticism and the narratives within narratives that cricket provides. Oh, someone's come on the ground there, but it's a steward in blue. I thought it was.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's funny because I was looking back at the 2005 Ashes and I see at the Oval actually there was a streaker during the Kevin That's Peterson right. classic innings of 158, not now. Mm. There was a streaker. She had go veg That's tattooed right. on her butt. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, uh, we haven't had that a lord yet. Um, anyway, I mean, oh, uh, you know, uh, maybe that'll that'll come yeah. at some point. Um, but when, when that, she slipped, I thought it said go veg.
2: <laughs> Stephen behaves himself. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: but but is that you? What you were talking about there about you know making a lord seem. Even more inclusive than it yeah. already is—is is mm. that sort of one of your
2: missions it as president? Is. I mean, yeah, and, and obviously, I'm terribly afraid that people are going to think you're either being woke or you're just paying lip service to it, and all the problems we have in trying to express things in our in our culture these days. But it is a genuine feeling that that it's incredibly important. If you love cricket, the one thing you want is for the maximum number of people to be introduced to it, to love it. To, to encourage their children to play it, to feel that it's a game that is open to all, uh, girls and boys, and whatever background you come from. Because I'm, you know. I always say this, but if you show a child a bat and a ball and give them the very principle of cricket, they instantly get it and they want to play. Give me the bat, give me the ball, I want to play. And you chalk up some stumps or you use a tree or whatever it is and then you get a basic version of cricket going and they can't stop, but they want to develop it a bit. It does take structure, it does take a little bit of coaching, it takes a bit of equipment, you know, and that's what stops so many and... Uh, the MCC uh, also has a has a, a thing called the MCC Foundation, which I'm patron, uh, which which exists to try and help girls and boys who would otherwise not find cricket easy to to to, to get the coaching, to get the uh, encouragement to play together, and we do it around the world. It, it, it's worth noting that cricket is the second most popular sport in the world. Uh, um, obviously largely to do with the massive population of India and the fact that it's essentially the third religion in India. Uh, uh, but but nonetheless, in Nepal, it's the most popular sport because of the foundation's work we've done in Nepal. And, and girls in Nepal and in other countries around the world uh, uh, find it very difficult to get an equal start with boys. They're denied lots of activities that... Boys naturally get lots of opportunities and lots of property rights as they get older. Uh, um, and just getting girls and boys to play cricket together when they're a young age and they can, and when they get older, they might split into girls' cricket and women's cricket and men's cricket and so on. But when they're young, they play together. It inculcates in the boys a respect for the girls and a feeling that they are their equals. Uh, and so we've this. It's, it's not just about growing cricket. It is with, without, you know, being too sanctimonious it is about social cohesion and it's about the uh, helping uh, you know the growth uh, uh, and bonding and we do this in Rwanda and Kenya and, and Uganda and in Lebanon with Syrian refugees it's amazing to see what happens so if you love the idea of cricket and you want more people to play it the last thing you want is for people to believe that it's closed off to them either for income or class or education or anything like and I know I'm a a white fellow with a pompous accent, and, and I, I, I'm, in a sense, the last person to say this, but, but it just so happens I am where I am, and I hope people can hear what I'm saying rather than just just think, <laughs> oh, it's him, you know? Because it is such a great game, and it rewards you it rewards you in, with so much pleasure and excitement, and um, it's a never-ending journey of thrill. And it's particularly, obviously, exciting if you have, as I have, godchildren and nephews and nieces who, who've started playing the game. And I've got a nephew who's founded his own cricket club, the Mad Hatters. And wow. uh, Yeah, it's just great. And and it gives me such joy to think of that, to think of the, you know, the game growing. Stuart Broad, you just
1: heard the applause as uh, coming back on to bowl. Obviously, the... Uh the hero of the first innings, our uh, bowling Ireland out, took five wickets, getting a warm-up for the Ashes. We'll talk about the uh, the Ashes in, in, a, in a minute, but just to, to finish on, on today, um, uh, anything that sort of caught, caught your eye in, in today's play? We've seen a double from Ollie Pope. have yeah. seen, as I say, a, a rapid hundred from Ben Duckett, a little bit of a cameo from Joe Root. Some, well, funnily enough, I, I, to me today, it was a bit like... When I used to play for Middlesex against the universities, it sounds a bit rude, but when we used to go and play at uh, early season, we'd have warm-up games against the universities, and they were really keen. Obviously, Cambridge and Oxford, you were probably there. You might even yeah. watch the odd game. Yeah. But, you know, but we, we tried to uh, 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 play our proper game, and the university players were really keen and energetic and uh, spirited, but they didn't have any real quality because no. they were yeah. students. And I sort of felt that a bit about England v Ireland today. Yeah.
2: I think that's right. And, of course, part of you is embarrassed. You don't want Ireland to be humiliated to, to the extent that it is it is an embarrassment. There is a question as to whether Ireland should be playing red ball cricket, really. They don't have enough depth in, in players to, to split off into red ball specialists and white ball specialists, as we kind of do. Obviously, we have players who do both. Um, and if Ireland cricket has a future, it's almost certainly within T20 and ODI cricket, not within trying to play tests with the big test playing nations so this becomes a sort of showpiece game in which Ireland are made to feel a bit like oh so we're here to show off the stroke play of Pope and Duckett and Crawley and everything and and, and that's sort of all we all we can do or to allow Broad to get another fight for, um but they're playing in a good spirit and I chatted to, to one of the players at, uh, just as they were coming out at lunch and uh, He said, it's miserable, but I love it, which is a very Irish way of looking at things, I think. Um, And, uh, yeah, I think, I mean, yeah, I suppose, though, from the England point of view, if I wanted to look at that, it's interesting to watch Joe Root come out when he comes out in a position where he's not there to build an innings, consolidate, do one of his great centuries? Yeah, now. that's right. Doing his uh, amazing sort of standing up on his toes and you know pushing it out the way he does. And so he, he starts off with paddles and ramps and the uh, and, and completely you know not the orthodox uh, batsman. He's just come from the IPL, of course. And he's come from the IPL, where he's mostly been the drinks boy yes. or soul Yeah. Um, so it it's, it's almost feels it's an identity crisis for him. And then you know you realize he was then suddenly scoring at a runner ball and uh, he got to his 50 very fast and he got some h- hearty sixes. But it, it wasn't the Joe Root innings that it was required of him and which he provided in such abundance two or three years ago. So it's a strange sight. And um, he has ahead of him these excellent batsmen like, like Pope and Duckett who, who are just, um, I mean, their scoring is so free, whether it will be against Hazelwood and Stark and so on is another question, obviously. Um, it's lovely, also I suppose, watching the openers yesterday, having a tall, sort of off driver uh, like like Crawley and a really compact left-hander so good off the uh, off his hips and uh, pulling like Duckett, and uh, it's so annoying for bowlers. And that's what you want, of course, is to annoy your bowlers. They, they're constantly having to adjust their lines with those those two coming in. As long as Crawley's. Drives are always off the middle of the bat, we'll be happy. (laughs) There's a
1: slight hint of Hayden and Langer about this. I mean, not, you know, they were a phenomenal pair, they made 5,000 runs together, the average about 50 odd in partnerships, but. You know, Crawley and, and Duckett, in a way, have the same sort of essence. One, a rather big driver, sort of striding yes. up the pitch, leading on the out. The other one is more diminutive, sort of nuggety puller and cutter yes. of the ball, like Langer was. Yes. So, there's a good kind of blueprint and there. And if I they guess they could be even half as good. And we could call there. Johnny
2: our Adam Gilchrist, I guess. Yeah, that's a very good. That's a very good way of looking at it. And yeah, I mean, it has been the major problem for England, yeah. in as much as we've had a problem yeah. over the past two years. Has been an opening pair. And and if Crawley can you know, be less vulnerable with his driving. It will be a marvelous thing to, to, to have them settled. Uh, but he, he'll feel a bit cheated by the fact that he only, only got, what was it, 56. You know? um, no, it's it's, of course, hard to judge anything by this because Ireland are not, as you say, the, the, the greatest side in the world. Um, but I know, it's been fun to watch and my goodness, as the shadows lengthen on the grass and the sun continues to shine and almost everybody's still in the ground, it is just a reminder that the season has begun and it has got our saliva glands drooling at the prospect of this ashes season to come.
1: So, thinking of the Ashes, as I mentioned at the start, it's the 30th anniversary of the Shane Warne Ball of the Century. Mm. The 4th of June it was actually, 1993, when he delivered that ball to Mike Gatting, the Friday of the Old Trafford Test match. And I caught up with Mike Gatting the other day, just for his brief memories. He obviously said this a few times, but I caught up with him just to hear what his impressions are looking back on that delivery.
3: Certainly, the thing I remember about the old Trafford thing was that you could hear it fizzing out of his hand. You know, you literally heard it fizzing. You know, you could hear it come out. And um, well, you, did, you only had one ball, but you, you 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 remember even that even that ball. Yeah, you? because you know I did not know what to expect, and you know you, you as a you as a batter, you're sort of one. I was looking to see what sort of, whether it was a leg break or not, and I, I was I knew it was a leg break. Um, and it was second over test actually, so you weren't expecting it to turn that much. So I was why wa- I was worried about it bowling around my legs, because he started it fairly straight as as A B told him to. And he said, make sure you don't drop it short, just pitch it up and bowl it straight. So he bowled it middle and leg, but because he got so much revolutions on it, it started to drift in. So by the time it, it pitched, it had pitched outside leg stump. And I think what happened was because the, the hardness um, of the pitch you know Old Trafford sometimes I think it got a bit damp and there were these little pinpricks of, from the studs on oh. the boots mm-hmm. didn't go all the way in but just on the top and I'm sure it must have just hit that and, and it gripped and it then turned and you know I'm quite a wide person to get past and I thought I was sort of worried about it getting round the back but as somebody said it got too big an arse it wouldn't have got past my arse but that's besides the point but in all, in all seriousness, you, you, you know, I thought I'd got everything covered and it, it missed the bat but it, <laughs> because it'd gone, I don't know, what, it'd be interesting what sort of angle it had to go at to actually hit hit the top of the bale as it did, um, because, you know, it, it, it almost had to pitch in only one place, it could pitch to hit the top of the off bale and miss all my body as well. And you weren't and, sure
1: he'd bowled you, you initially? No,
3: because I was, the first thing I saw was, was, well the first thing I heard was Ian Healy asking me to leave because I was out, <laughs> in the nice way that they do, and I saw this one bow on the floor and I honestly thought for, for, for a brief second that heels in his, in his haste to get back to it spun so quickly and, and so much, he might have just, you know, sort of knocked a the, knocked the stump and one, or just one of the bowels fell off because you normally hear it hit the stump. Um, and then I sort of looked at the umpire and then Heels politely asked me to leave again and um, yeah you, you, you just sort of it was just one of those sort of surreal moments I don't think even Heels could believe what happened
1: So a uh, nice task I've had actually over the last month or so is writing a script of yeah. the... History of the Ashes, in a way, picking on the the great moments and the great characters of the Ashes, which you've have, have very kindly voiced and narrated. Mm-hmm. So what's your sort of great me- Ashes memory or first memory, even?
2: That's a really interesting question. I mean, it, they're all overpowered by my memory of nineteen eighty-one. It's the year I just graduated, and I just was between. Um, graduation and going up to Edinburgh uh, with, the, with Hugh Laurie and Emma Thompson and my fellow Footlighters as we were in this club called the Footlights at Cambridge and um, uh, we had this time off between and I was sharing a house with Hugh and we watched the match here in 1981 with Ian Botham as captain And we all remember this extraordinary moment when he got his second duck. He bagged his pair and walked in complete silence off the Lord's pitch past the members who sort of turned away from him. They didn't just, you know, greet him in silence. They turned from him. And it was pretty obvious he was not going to be captain by the end of the day to his frustration. He didn't get the chance to resign, which he was going to do, Um, but uh, he was sacked, and Mike Bradley picked up the phone and agreed to be captain in his place and come in the team, and the rest was that extraordinary summer in which both of them flourished, rose like a phoenix, which reminds me of a story that Mike Bradley told about the great Derek Randall, who said um, when England was done in the dumps at one point, and uh, Derek Randall said to the uh, dressing room, he said, come on, we've got to rise like a pheasant, and uh, uh, Mike Bradley said, I thought uh, yeah, you're right," he said. "I think I think you mean a, a phoenix," and Derek uh, Randall said, "Well, I knew it was a bird beginning with F, <laughs> which is rather pleasing." But anyway. Uh we did rise like a phoenix. England rose like a phoenix, uh, uh, and it was it was the rocketing pheasant of of Ian Botham that did it, and that was the strongest memory of the Ashes. I, I, I remember the chapels. I remember you know. I remember or, or Bill Laurie and you know the early days of, of, of watching. I remember seeing the fuzzy white images of John Snow being showered with tinnies and being barracked. You know, I remember these sort of moments. I remember Illingworth. I remember you know a few. A few sites in Australia and in Britain of the Ashes. But it was really, everything just changed with that 1981 match in the way that a, a corner was turned literally and physically with that ball of, of Warns, you know. It turned the corner around Mike Gaddings' poor legs and it turned the corner in, in, in cricketing style, in a way, in something utterly and eradicably altered. And we have been benefiting from that that change in personality and charisma and in sheer technical flair and the ability to turn a match, everything Shane Moore did afterwards was was kind of signposted by that remarkable moment. And it changed cricket. I
1: suppose in a way, I mean, you, would, you would have loved the, the Shane Moore kind of impact because he married sport and theatre, didn't he? I mean, it was exactly. watching him. I, I, Funnily enough, the other day, I. Saw a clip of the in bowling in that Trent Bridge test match in 2005 when uh, it went right to the wire. He needed about 120 odd to win, they were 112 to seven. And then Ashley Giles and Matthew Hopper put in a crucial partnership in the test match. Yes, and uh, there was two to win. and Warren was still licking his lips, trying to find the the way to to win for Australia. Appeal for a catch there off Stuart Broad, another one down the leg side that might have gloved the batter. He's not walking. The umpire's not giving it. Uh, Stokes and the England team are certainly considering a review, uh, which I'm sure they'll probably take uh, because they're happy to get the wickets whenever they can. Anyway, Wall in that delivery two to win (laughs) uh, England still was licking his lips and pausing and looking around the field and just moving the field slightly and just making the batsman wait that little second longer. Before he delivered the, the the ball, which nearly bowled Charles, it actually went through the gate and went over the top of the pads and over the top of the, bat and, and, and the, the wicket and missed. And England went on to win. But watching Warm deliberate, yeah, before each ball, that was
2: part of the pleasure, wasn't it? No question about it. I mean, he was as anybody who knew him, as I was lucky to do. He was a he was a class act in every sense. Hidden in a larrikin. he almost pretended to be more vulgar and uh, absurd than. Uh, th- than anybody could be. He was really a a, a, a terrific cricketing brain. Obviously, I, um, I I think a lot of people believe he came out of nowhere that ball of the century. That you know he was an unheard of quantity. But actually, he had played in was it in India or Sri Lanka? He played in, not, he played against India. That's and right against and India. And then he
1: bowled out Sri Lanka. That's right, and then uh, had a, the, revo- the result and, of that review yeah. is a not out, by the way. Yeah. Um, but. He he got the the three for ten or something at the end of a Sri Lankan innings and won a test match for Australia in Sri Lankan. And I'd
2: heard about that and I'd also heard, I don't know, I think I'd been speaking to some Australian uh, who was inside cricket who had spoken about the Adelaide uh, Academy or whatever it was, the Cricket Academy. And about clary grimmett who was a great old name who who had mentored uh shane warne and how clary grimmett had said this boy is the future of australian cricket not just of australian bowling but of australian cricket and and i'd heard this so i was incredibly excited that he was picked that he was going to play and that he was going to bowl because there was a build-up to it it wasn't just this nobody came out of nowhere and bowled the ball that changed everything he was we were sort of expecting something from him, but he uh, he uh, outdid our expectation. You know, because when you first—I mean, I had never really seen wrist spin properly all the spin I'd known, have I been mean the Titmus and you know all these sort of spinners you'd heard about these weird people like Gleason you know with supposedly had double jointed wrists and things and did really fancy things and I'd tried, I'd, I could do leg spin in French cricket because you spin it from your underarm, you twist it with your thumb round you your, your hand is upside down you know that thing yes. you can do yes, and yes. it's a great way of doing leg spin yes. but but um, I'd never, you know everybody just did that with their fingers what's the point of saying that on a podcast, you can't see what I'm doing but you know the finger going down but this idea that the wrist did it and that the ball could just how you could get that power out of the ball how you could get that fizz how you could get that accuracy and accuracy astonishing and then of course you realize that he didn't just have this phenomenal legs Benno, but that he had things we had to have explained to us by uh, Richie Benno you know sliders and, uh, and well, I and, and think and he tops even conned
1: him. Richie Benno sometimes it's so, funny yeah. there, was a, there was one wicket I remember in that where he thought Warren had bowled the slider and I proved on a replay that actually it was the same ball I just wow. hadn't turned you know, yes, so he would. He was that what good. we now
2: call natural variation, natural which variation. covers a multitude of sins. I, I was always very good at natural variation, I can tell you, but unfortunately not on the same spot. <laughs>
1: look, I mean, it's lovely. Look, reminiscing about yeah. that. Um, as I mentioned, the the series Legends of the Ashes is out shortly on the global podcast platform, narrated by Stephen, with lots of interviews with the, the great players of the past and. Also, Stuart Broad, actually, is a, mm. is a good interview in that, in that series as well. Uh, so just thinking ahead, I, I, I guess, you know, people worry about the future of test cricket, But, I mean, I suppose looking around here today, we shouldn't be too worried at the moment. But is there something that you think we should be doing better?
2: I'm really the last person to speak coherently. Wow. <laughs> Very uh, splendid shot from Tucker there. Good for the Irish Tucker. Uh not often you see Chris Chris Broad I'm still so old I say Chris Broad the name of his father who was a batter I'm sure some people remember Uh, uh, Stuart uh, Stuart, you don't often see him punished like that Uh, but uh, yeah I'm not a great one on structure and administration and things like that whenever I suggest something it's usually asinine and idiotic I do know how much appetite there is for great test cricket uh, but I know how hard it is to prepare sides country's grounds for it um, uh, for, for large rubbers because of the demands of other cricket so I don't know how you address the problem of just how many calls there are on the talent and time of our players in the, the white ball game domestically and for the, your country as well as the franchises now both in in India of course but elsewhere and now in America too uh, I don't know how you square that circle. I genuinely don't know. I don't know how much players still want to play it. I know there's a generation like James Anderson and, and, and Stewart, of course, who whose reputations are forged in the Red Bull game and are, will be legends of it as long as people talk about cricket. You know, they are up there with all the great names of the past. Up there with, you know, the Bradmans and the Millers and the you know, whoever you choose. But I just don't know is, is the answer. All I know is that I love watching it, and I hope, certainly in my lifetime, we'll continue to get proper rubbers, as they used to call them, proper, you, know, five-day series, five-day five series of, and five matches of series. Um, but who knows? Uh, the thing about cricket is it continues to surprise. Just
1: um, to, to, to finish off on that, I know you've got to say goodbye to all your mm. guests, actually. We're coming to the end of the day's play. Um, a little, few little stats about today, just showing the, the commitment the players have, have shown, really, in, in the test. Root, second England player uh, to achieve 11,000 test runs Is today. Right? Yeah, I didn't uh, know obviously that. Obviously, after Alistair Cook. As yeah. I said, um, the Duckett. Ben Duckett fastest test 150 in a test at Lord's Wow! from 150 balls um, also Duckett as I said earlier the first player since 1924 to score 100 runs before lunch in a test at Lord's not in England no, very good. so slightly correcting that uh, but still that, damn good. and also uh, Pope and Root third fastest 100 partnership for England I mean,
2: we didn't know we were watching that. It, it's partly just being so used to it, you just dazzled by it. And also because the um, it wasn't a blast like a T20 game where it was just hoiking balls over over the pavilion roof. It, it was a, just a series of extraordinary stroke play, uh, mostly fours, they're only about 360s maybe, um, and just done at such a rate that... It seemed natural. It didn't seem like a, an explosion. It was just you expected one every other ball. <laughs> they went up to what it was 10 and over, 10.6 and over. Extraordinary stuff. It's a privilege being here. And lovely talking to you, Simon. Thank
1: you very much for your time and all the, the, the work you do and your enthusiasm for, for our great game. Ireland uh, are just about to finish the day on 97 for 3, so a mile behind, but at least from the MCC's point of view, the third day's play will happen and you'll have your lunch and it won't be too bad. And that's the end of the day's play. Thank you very much. Stumps on day two. Stephen, thank you very much. Simon Mann and I will be back tomorrow with more from Lords. Until then, thanks for listening.